that. And, and, and my wife, <clears throat> her two favorite movies are Miss Potter. If, you've ever, if you haven't seen it, it's, a great, it's a, actually a really good movie. I've actually watched it. It's the, it's the uh, story of Beatrix Potter, who does all the Peter Rabbit uh, drawings and uh, books. And really, really good, uh, good, good story um, of her life. And her other favorite movie is Pride and Prejudice. Anything from Jane Austen. So me as her husband, I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually sit through these things. So I did sit through Miss Potter. Actually liked it. Actually got teared up. It was really, really good. Need to see it. And so I said, okay, you've watched Pride and Prejudice like 15 million times. So I'm going to have to, to watch Pride and Prejudice. And um, anything that's set in England, anything that has English people, anything that has neat old English Tudor houses and a love story, my wife is watching it. So she loves these love stories, and especially uh, she loves Pride and Prejudice. And if you've seen it, you know the story between Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. And then within that story, there's all this miscommunication. And you're like, are they ever going to get together? And then half the, the storyline, I don't understand. So I'm always going to Kathleen, okay, what's going on now? What, what's, why? Why is she not? What, what happened there? Why is she? Why didn't she? And she's like, shh. I go, but you've seen it 15 million times. You can tell me. You know it's going to happen. And then at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, you know, she walks outside in English Moor countryside. It's foggy. And there through the fog comes Mr. Darcy. And you're like, wow, it all ended good, right? Well, let me just tell you, the story of Ruth is the best love story. It, 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 it's, this is the story that all the other love stories are built upon. And, and I love this story um, because it just shows the hand and the grace of God to work through any situation that seems literally impossible, especially for someone that puts their faith in God and that God can redeem what seems like a hopeless situation and then use it for his glory for those who put their faith in him. And so if you're new today, what we're doing is we're chronologically going through the Bible and where we are today is we're kind of in the, the spot of Israel's history. It's a kind of a, a, a sad part of Israel's history. As you know, Israel went through the desert for 40 years. They finally get in the promised land. And after uh, Moses hands his leadership off to Joshua, and after Joshua dies, there, there becomes this real apathy with in Israel, and there's this big turning away from God and the things of God, and they begin to worship other foreign gods, and they're kind of in a period in between Joshua and when God will raise up kings uh, to rule Israel. And we're going to jump into that next week where God begins to lead Israel, and one of those great kings that we're going to talk about is King David. But we're kind of in the in, in the in-between part of that in their history where God would raise up judges or deliverers. And wh what happened to Israel is kind of this reciprocal thing, this circular thing that would happen within their within the history of Israel during this time is is that what would happen is they would cry out to God because their enemies around them would sub subdue them and then Israel would cry out to God and God would raise up a deliverer we talked about that last week he raised up uh, 12 different deliverers during this time and we talked about Samson and um talked about Gideon 
and, and he raised up these deliverers to deliver them out of the hands of the enemy. But what happened is, this is the sad part of the story. What happened is after, after this deliverer would, would cease, they would go right back to their ways. Not only would they go back to their ways, but they would sin, their sin would increase even more than their own fathers. And so there was this, just this, this circular up, down, up, down. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to follow him. And the minute the deliverer left or, was, or stopped ruling, um, they would go right back to their old ways again. And it's during this time of, of Israel's history that we see this story of, of Ruth. And the interesting thing about Ruth is that she's not an Israelite. In fact, uh, she was considered an enemy of Israel. And Ruth was introduced to her husband, when her family came to Moab because of the famine in their land. And I want to read this account to you because this is an incredible account how God's grace can reach over any lines, any, any ethnic line, any, any nationality line. God's grace reached out to this woman, Ruth, because she put her faith in God. And, and I, I just want you to see what happens here in the story. So I want to read... Um, the account here in Ruth, and we're going to start right off in chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there with me in chapter 1, verse 1. You could look up at the screens here. And let's see what happens here. Uh, as you saw in the video there, we know that uh, Naomi was widowed. And so let's look uh, at the story. It says, In the days when judges ruled, so we talked about, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He had his wife and his two sons, and the name, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and they had two sons, and their names were Malon and Killian. That is a cool name for a son. Why no one, I've never heard Killian, and I just think that's cool. If I have another child and I have a boy, Killian will be his name. Just cool. Okay, anyways, that's what I... Okay. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took Moabite wives, and one was named Orpah. Now, here's an interesting story. This is actually Oprah's name, but they misspelled her name on her birth certificate, so she stayed with Oprah. But actually, her real name is Orpah, and I'm kind of glad she stayed with Oprah. But anyways, moving on. True story. Aren't you glad you came to church today? All you're going to walk out today, you're not going to learn anything about Ruth. You're going to go back and say, you know what? Oprah's real name was Orpah. Did you know that? That's what her real name was. Okay. So the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. And then Malan and the cool name Killian, they died. And so the women were left without their two sons or husbands. Now, Let's look at this situation because this is not a good situation. Naomi was left childless, uh, with, uh, being a widow with no financial help. This was a, a, a very bad situation because if you were left without your sons and without your husband, um, there is no financial help there. They were literally destitute. So now she is, here she is, Naomi, with her two daughter-in-laws, and they absolutely have nothing. So they needed to reach out to the community for help. So what Naomi does is she gives permission for her daughters to return to their land. She says, listen, don't stay with me. You need to go back to your land and go back to your family 
and, 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 and don't worry about me. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll go back to my land. I'll try to find my relatives and, and, and I'll try to, to make my life work out. But please don't, you, you're not obligated to stay with me. So Naomi gave uh, her daughter-in-laws a way out to go back to their own land. So Orpah, um, she does, and she goes back to her land, but Ruth refuses. Here's the incredible thing about Ruth. She, she doesn't leave. She stays with Naomi. She goes, no, I, I'm not going to leave you. And listen to these words. These are some incredible words of faith that Ruth says to Naomi in verse 16 and 18 of chapter one. Look at what she says here. But here's her respond to Naomi when Naomi says, you can leave. You don't have to stay with me. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And where will I, and, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death, part me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, I, I want you to realize how significant this is. Remember that Ruth, God, was not the God of Israel from her land. Orpah went back to her gods to her foreign gods. But Ruth, by making this statement, says something very incredible to her. By Orpah returning, she was returning to her gods. However, what we see in the scriptures here is Ruth literally clung to Naomi. And what she was doing by clinging to Naomi, by saying, I am not going to leave you, Ruth forsook her land and their gods to follow Naomi and her God, making the God of Israel her God. That's an incredible, this, this is such a pivotal part of the story because we see Ruth, a foreign woman, coming to put her faith in the God of Israel. She puts her faith in God. She, she speaks covenantal language here. She says to Naomi, I'm not going to leave you I'm not going to forsake you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you die, I'm going to die. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. I love this because I've heard people read this passage at a marriage ceremony. And for some reason you think, well, that doesn't really make sense. But I think it makes all the sense in the world. Because that's exactly what a marriage is. It's where two couples literally cling together that the two shall become one, that nothing should come between that. And that's exactly what Ruth is saying to Naomi. I want nothing to come between us. I'm going to bind myself to you. I'm going to cling to you, and I'm going to follow you. Now, here, here's what happens. Ruth ends up going with Naomi back to her land, but the problem is they, they're, they're still destitute. Um, uh, you know, Naomi says, I'm just too old. Um, uh, Ruth is young enough to get remarried. Um, and so they're still destitute. Their, their, their situation still seems hopeless. So in order to get food, those that were destitute or widowed could glean the edges of the field that were harvested. So this was a law within Israel that 
when, when you go to harvest, uh, leave the edges of the field um, unharvested so that those that are in need, those that need food, it was, it was kind of their welfare system there, um, someone that, that needs something, leave those unharvested so people could go and at least glean the edges of the field so, so that they could have food also. And so this is what's happening. Um, Ruth goes out there and she's gleaning the fields. She's working hard. She's getting money. She's getting dirty. She says, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm here. I'm committed to, to Naomi to, to, to help her. And so that's exactly what Ruth did. And so uh, the fields she harvested were the fields of a man named Boaz who happened to be a relative to Naomi's husband. How convenient is that? Kind of interesting how this works out. And so there it was where she found favor in his eyes. Now, Naomi does this. She, she, she's seeing what's happening here. So she's like, man, there could be a love connection here. So we've got we to do something here. So, so what, what Naomi does, she instructs Ruth to go to Boaz and she tells him, the scripture tells us, she says, there's a law that says if someone's part of the family that they can now be called your kingsman redeemer. This is an incredible, incredible law. Because what this, what this law said was is that the closest male relative would have the responsibility to marry a widow so that, they, so that they wouldn't be destitute. So let's read what happens here in Ruth chapter 3. Flip over a couple chapters and let's read verses 6 through 13. And so this is what Naomi does. She gets, she gets Ruth a little fixed up. You know, take off your farm clothes. Let's fix you up a little bit here. Uh, let's, let's dial you up just a little bit here. Let, let's present you here. And, and, and I want you to go uh, to Boaz here and, 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 and let's rely on the Lord here for this law that has been instructed to the Israelites. So let, let's look what happens here. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking, he was in good spirits. Read between the lines. And so he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet. She laid down, and in the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet, which was Ruth. He said, who are you? And she goes, I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz would understand exactly what this means. Now, what's interesting here, in that verse, when she says spread the corner, in the Hebrew, that word corner means wings. So what she's saying is, spread your wings or spread your corner, protect me under your covering, which I think is really neat in the Hebrew there. So he understood that he, she was part of the family, this king, kingsman redeemer of their family. Verse 10 says, listen to his reply. He said, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. He was watching her. He was looking at her character and the way she presented herself. And that impressed Boaz. He says, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of what? Noble character. Credible, incredible insight to her life. 
Verse 12, although it is true that I'm a kingsman redeemer uh, of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Wah, wah, wah. Now here's the part where you're watching the love story move. You're like, oh no, that going to work out. They have to get together. They have to. So what does he say to her? He says, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie here until the morning. So here's what happens. He goes to this other relatives and see if he wants to do his duty by redeeming her. So the other relative refuses because if you read the story, he doesn't, he may lose his, his inheritance and so on and so forth. So he refuses, but Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. And so what's amazing about this story and about Ruth is that her lineage from Boaz would come King David and from King David's line would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what I want to do here is, is I, I want to unpack for you the importance of this Kingsman Redeemer. Because what we've been doing is we look at, you may look at this story and say, wow, that's a cool love story and everything worked out at, at the end and it's really neat. But I, I want you that it's just not a story of a woman who was destitute and that God, through his grace, allowed her to, 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 to find her life and, and, and to find happiness again and to have a child and so on and so forth that would eventually be in the line of David. Um, I want you to see the greater story here because here's the point of us going through the Bible and going through these smaller stories. I want you to point to the upper story, the larger story, the overarching story of Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus Christ fit into this whole story? The main theme of Ruth is redemption. The, the theme is not just a love story. It's not just a great story of, 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 of two people finding each other in their lives, working out happily ever, ever after. It's a, it's a story of redemption, which is the core theme of the gospel message. In fact, the word redemption here in Ruth is, is spoken of 23 times in this book. It's a story of redemption that points to ultimate redemption. And what, what makes the role of this Kingsman Redeemer so important is that his role was to preserve the land of the family that was lost. They were to either avenge the death of a killed family member or marry the widow as Boaz did. Now, this kingsman could refuse as this one relative did. So the kingsman could do a couple things. He could just rebuy the land and just help the widow or just marry the widow and not buy the land. But what's incredible about the person of Boaz and what's interesting about him is that he does both. He pays the debt and brings her into his family. And what Boaz did for her is give her things that only he earned. And I want you to see the underlying story of grace here. You see, she was considered the enemy. She was not an Israelite. She, she took her life into her hands by even going into the field of Boaz. She forsook her pagan gods and by faith followed Naomi to an unknown land and potentially a hostile people. God's grace, I want you to understand this this morning. God's grace 
reaches over every single line or any single barrier. I don't care if it's political, ethnic, race, religious background, whatever it is. God's grace can reach over any barrier. God extended his grace to Ruth, who least deserved it. In fact, Ruth's descendants were from Sodom, the city God destroyed with fire. But I want you to notice the situation that Ruth was in. She literally had nothing. She had no home. She had no money. She had no husband. She had no nation. And she had no children. And within this story, we can see the larger story of Jesus redeeming us. Within this story, we can see our story within Ruth's story. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're ever going to come to grips with a holy God and understanding what Jesus Christ literally did for you, you have to come to grips with this story. Because unless we become like Ruth, we will never understand the the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ went through for us to reach us through his redeeming love. We've got to understand that we're completely destitute because of sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We're all born in sin. We're, we, no one is, 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 is perfect before God's sight. We are all deficient in one way or another. We have all fallen short of God's perfection. When we come to the foot of the cross, we come with absolutely nothing. There is nothing in my own righteousness or my own goodness that I could ever give a holy God that, that, that he would be pleased with. In fact, we come destitute and with nothing. Unless I come that way before the cross, unless I come to Christ and say, Christ, I'm completely destitute. I've got nothing to offer you. And unless I come with that kind of attitude, I will never understand the saving grace by which God saves me with through his son, Jesus. See, here's the point. When I realize that I'm a sinner and that I've ultimately sinned against God, I will never, ever, ever see my need for a savior. If I don't see the magnitude of my sin, see, what we do in our culture today, which is very sad, is we've, we've kind of watered down our, our sin. What we now call it, we've kind of redefined it now, we, we call it a mistake. You know, I heard one pastor say it this way, I thought it was kind of funny. He said, if I were to have you raise your hands this morning and say, how many of you made a mis- ever made mistakes in your life? I mean, we'd all raise our hands, right? We'd all make mistakes. And then he said, if I were to ask all of you now, how many of you have sinned in your life? He goes, especially the people in the front row would be real hesitant to raise their hand because they're like, is anybody in the back row raising their hand? Or am I the only one raising my hand? Because I don't want anybody to think that I'm a sinner, right? All of a sudden it becomes, it, it becomes more serious when we know that we're sinners. But unless I see the seriousness of my sin, I'll never understand the magnitude of God's grace. Right? See, see, Ruth understood the magnitude of her situation, but because of her faith, she says, I, I, I don't care. I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to follow your gods. I'm going to follow your people. And God's grace was surely extended to Ruth. See, here's what's interesting. Boaz was the only one willing and able to redeem Ruth. He was the only one. And Jesus Christ was the only one willing and able to redeem us because he was perfect in every way. 
obedient to the Father in every way. Jesus was the only one able to redeem us from sin for this reason, because this reason, he was perfect, he was God's only son, and he was God. And he was the only one to meet the righteous demands of a God. So Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So here's what I want you to see. At the beginning of the book of Ruth, it seems like a hopeless situation until Boaz comes to redeem Ruth. Ruth is not only given a new life, but she also, listen, here's what's the neat thing about this whole story. <clears throat> Ruth not only gives, is given new life, but she gives new life to Naomi. Her mother-in-law gets a new life. Naomi was so discouraged that she wanted to be called Mara, which means bitter. Because she was so discouraged about her life. But Ruth convinces to give Naomi her son and to care for her son. And now Naomi is given new life. And this brings new life to her because of the child that was born to Ruth and Boaz. Which this child would become the great or become the grandfather of King David. And David would bring redemption to Israel. And eventually through David's line, Jesus would come as the Messiah to bring redemption to mankind. And here's the heart of the gospel message, that Jesus came to restore what sin has broken. All the things that were broken in Ruth's life and Naomi's life were restored through this kingsman redeemer. And everything that was broken and destroyed in our life can be redeemed through our kingsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Unless we give Jesus our lives and our brokenness and our sin, he can never redeem us. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus didn't come for well people. You can't give them all the good things that you've done because you can't redeem good things, right? Because they're already good. He's come to redeem that which was broken. Ruth gave her brokenness, her destitution. She gave everything to follow the God of Naomi. And through the Kingsman Redeemer Boaz, God redeemed her and restored her life. What a wonderful story of what Jesus Christ did for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So here's what I want us to do. As we come before the table today and as we take communion, I want to I share a story with you on how God can redeem us even in the midst of our destitution or even when, we see, even when it seems like a, 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 you know, our lives are hopeless and, and how can God ever 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 use my life or how can God ever use the things in my life when it just seems so destitute? I love the story of Jim Elliott. And if, if some of you have never heard of Jim Elliott, Jim Elliott was a missionary. And Jim Elliott went to South America um, to be a missionary to, to some of the native tribes in Ecuador. And what Jim Elliott did in, 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 in the 50s and uh, 1952, he, he was called to go to Ecuador and reach some of these groups. So he went, he met his wife, Elizabeth, there. Uh, they got married. And as he was there, he learned Spanish and he began to work with some uh, native tribes and it went very well. But there was this one tribe that, that was unreached. It was called the Uka tribe. And this tribe was hostile. 
In fact, anyone that would go there, they would kill them. They were that hostile. In fact, there was some oil work that was going on there, and, and some of the oil workers were even killed because of this hostile Aka tribe. But, but he really felt like he wanted to go and, and reach this unreached native group. And so what happened was, in 1956, him and four other missionary men left their wives and said, we're going to go and we're going to fly into this remote area and we're going to reach this tribe. And so what they did was, they, for the first couple of days, they just flew the plane around where they lived and, and they dropped gifts out of the plane to let them know that they were friendly. They, would, they actually had a loudspeaker that, that, that they spoke their language to let them know, listen, we're, we're friendly, we're, we're okay, we're, we're not here to be hostile, um, we just want to talk to you, we want to meet you. <clears throat> and so eventually they saw a landing strip where they could land the plane and they did. On the edge of this river they landed their plane and, and they met the group. And at first it was very friendly, in fact it was so friendly that they even took some of uh, the Aka tribe into their plane and flew them around. But after a couple days, they were, they were on the beach by the river and they saw some women from the tribe coming. I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be great. This is going to be a good meeting. And they didn't have a, a, a smile on their face. And from there, some other men came and they killed all the missionaries, including Jim Elliott and the four men that were with them. They had long spears and they just massacred them on the beach. And, and, and they, they, right before they met them, they, they, they radioed their wives and said, hey, we're getting ready to meet them. We'll call you later, and they never call back. And so as they flew in, they found the bodies lying on the side of the river. And you think, man, what a sad, sad story. What a sad story. These missionaries gave their lives to try to reach these people who were hostile towards, um, towards them. But the story doesn't end there. What happened was Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, goes back to the Aka tribe that killed her husband two years later. She goes with her daughter and she goes with a sister of another missionary that died with him and they go back to tell them and to talk to them and say, you were the ones that murdered my husband. And from there, they were able, through the blood that was shed by these missionaries, they were able to go there and share the gospel story. And in this day, many of the Aka tribe have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this day, that tribe is a friendly tribe. You see, the reason why I love that story is it's a story of God's redemption. You see, Jim Elliott had a gun and he could have easily shot, but he didn't. He goes, I'm here. If, if I've got to lay my life down, then I'm going to lay my life down for you. And that's exactly what he did to reach the souls of that unreached people group, to lay everything aside to reach that group for Jesus Christ. But even through that sad and difficult pain, God redeemed it for his glory so that that tribe could know the ultimate Savior that gave his life for them. People, are you hearing me? You see, the gospel message is not about Jesus coming to die for good people. The gospel message is all about Jesus coming to die for sinners. And until I get to the point where I realize, Lord, I've missed you. I've made so many mistakes. And here's the wonderful message of the gospel. 
is that Jesus says, listen, I want you to admit you're a sinner so that I don't put more condemnation on you. I want you to admit that you're a sinner and you've fallen short of me so that I, so that I can free you, so that I can forgive you, so that I can pour my grace upon you. And so when we come to the table of the Lord today, I want you to realize that all the pain, all the suffering, all the wrath that was poured out upon Jesus Christ on that cross was done for you and I. Jesus became our substitute so that he could redeem you and I from the bonds of sin. That's the thing that throws us in the pit of hell. That's the thing that separates us from a holy God is our own sin because we chose to rebel against God. But God in his mercy and his love chose to send his very own son, his perfect son, God himself, to die in our place as a substitute, that all of our sins are now placed upon Jesus, that all the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us was now poured out upon Jesus. That's the reason why Elizabeth Elliot does not have hatred. That's the reason why she went back to reach those very same people is because it was the love of God and the forgiveness of Christ in her that was able to reach the very people that were hostile and killed her husband. That's the power of the gospel message. Man, that's good. That's what saved me. That's what can save you. So listen, when we pray, I don't care what your habit is. I don't care what you're struggling with today. God can redeem it when you lay it at his feet. Let's just get real with Jesus today. Let's admit that we've made mistakes. Let's admit that we're sinners. Let's admit that we've fallen short of God. Let's examine our hearts. Paul said, listen, do not come to the table of the Lord without examining your hearts. Don't come here haphazardly. Just don't come and say, well, it's another religious duty that, that we do. He goes, that's why some of you are sick among you because you're taking this for granted. You're taking this very thing that should be a holy moment and you're making it common. Let's not make this common today. Let's say, God, I, I, man, I blew it this week. I cussed this week. I said something I shouldn't have said. I, whatever it is, I don't care. Give it to the Lord and say, God, you need to redeem my mouth. right? God, you need to redeem my bad behavior. You need to, you need to redeem my impatience. You need to redeem my, my cynical bad behavior. Just Jesus, you need to redeem that so that it becomes obedient to you, Jesus. Redeem it, God. It's wrong. I'm calling it out to you, Jesus. It's, it's wrong. And so as we take communion today, Let the blood of Christ cleanse you from all your unrighteousness today. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our unrighteousness. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ because it's pure and it's perfect. So let's do that today, shall we? So let's pray. You still love me? I got to get on you sometimes, right? But let's pray. Let's ask God to do this before we take me. Let, let's let him cleanse our heart. Maybe you're here today and you haven't come to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that right now and just call on him. Call on him. Call on him. So Lord, we come before you today. We thank you that you've come 
to redeem us. You didn't come to redeem good people. You came to redeem sinners, which every single one of us, including myself, are in this place. Redeem us today through the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we ask you to examine our hearts of anything that is wayward, anything that is not of you, God, that, that you would cleanse us today through the power of your son's blood. And as we take communion today as a family, that God, we wouldn't take this haphazardly, that we wouldn't, uh, Lord, just take this in a casual way, in a common way, but we would realize this is a, a sacred, holy moment. And that, Lord, if some of us here today can't take communion, well, then that's good. You, you, that's good. That's okay if we're not prepared to do that. But let's not take this in a haphazard way. So, Lord, I thank you that you can cleanse us today. So cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Thank you for Jesus, who's our ultimate redeemer today, our kingsman redeemer, who's come to restore all the brokenness in our life. We lay these things at your feet, and we thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. This is what we're going to do. We're going to watch a video to prepare our hearts for communion as the ushers make their way down. And as the ushers serve you today, wait to the end. We'll take communion together. We'll pray together as the family of God. But just look at the video, and then the worship team will lead us into a song today. And just allow the Lord just to speak to your heart. Make this a sacred moment just between you and the Lord as, as you just worship him today. So God bless you. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. God bless you.